I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Today's episode is all about stitchcraft, but before that, we have our book review. And today's book is The Sin Eater, written by Megan Campisi. I can't think of the word Sin Eater without thinking of Sin Eater, the 90s singer, as in, he's gotta be so macho every time I have to say it properly. The Sin Eater. Anyway, that was traumatic to listen to. I devoured this book in a couple of days. I couldn't put it down. It was a book I felt I was living in a scene of the book itself. It brought up so many sensations for me. When I finished it, I was absolutely devastated and thought it was one of those moments where I thought, how long would it be till I find another book that I love as much as this book? And I'm sure you know that sensation if you are a reader like me. This is, of course, a witchy fiction book. I will read you the blurb for this book to give you some insight. A sin eater's duty is a necessary evil. She hears the confessions of the dying and eats their sins as a funeral rite. Stained by these sins, she is shunned and silenced, doomed to live in exile at the edge of town. Recently orphaned May Owens is just 14, only concerned with where her next meal is coming from. When she's arrested for stealing a loaf of bread, however, and subsequently sentenced to become a sin eater, finding food is suddenly the last of her worries. It's a devastating sentence, but May's new invisibility opens doors. And when first one, then two of the Queen's courtiers suddenly grow ill, May hears their deathbed confessions and begins to investigate a terrible rumour that is only whispered amid palace corridors. Set in a thinly disguised 16th century England, The Sin Eater is a wonderfully rich story of treason and treachery, of women of power, and the strange freedom that comes from being an outcast. Because as May learns, being a nobody sometimes counts for everything. So before I go on, I just want to say this book itself is like a hardcover. I love a hardcover book, but it's absolutely stunning. The picture on it, all of it, it's this beautiful book. I think it's like very unheard of, this book. Like I, I really struggle to find much on it on like Goodreads and so on. So definitely think it's like a bit overlooked, but I don't know. I've just never seen it before. It was only as a result of somebody talking to me about the Sin Eater itself because the Sin Eater is actually a real thing, and this is what we'll go into. 
Anyway, I adored May, our main character in this book. She is courageous as F. I loved the description of the house that she winds up living in. Her thought patterns are brilliant. The nicknames that she gives members of the palace cracked me up. The author managed to make me feel like generally fill up at the concept of all the food that the Sin Eaters are presented with. She made me visualize the sense within the book of the food, but all manner of unpleasantness, such as a scene when she is in a jail and she can smell wee, just little things like that. The Sin Eater lives in absolute poverty at the edge of town and you can visualize everything the author writes on. The style of writing made me hungry for more. Like the minute I woke up, I had to read more. I just couldn't put it down. The book does have witchcraft within the storyline itself. So it's not mainly about witchcraft. It is part of the story. It is distinctly pagan. If you are someone who loves witchy and like royal fiction, this is a wonderful blend. So I actually heard all about the real Sin Eater from my friend Mark, who I work with on the retreats that I do. He told me all about the tradition and I was so curious to find out more. This is how I came across the book. A sin eater is a person who consumes a ritual meal in order to spiritually take on the sins of a deceased person. The food was believed to absorb the sins of a recently dead person, thus absolving the soul of the person. Sin eaters, as a consequence, carry the sins of all people whose sins they had eaten. Cultural anthropologists and folklorists classify sin eating as a form of ritual, it is most commonly associated with Wales, English counties, bordering Wales and Welsh culture. Nearly all our information comes from a handful of sources, several secondhand and one over 300 years old. Most folklorists believe the scarcity of evidence is due to sin eating's pagan nature. Individuals in a Christian culture might have been reticent to record their participation in a heretical custom. One of the few first-hand accounts is from a man called Matthew Mogridge, who presented his description of sin eating to a meeting of the Cambrian Archaeological Association in 1852. When a person died, the friends sent for the sin eater of the district, who on his arrival placed a plate of salt on the breast of the defunct and upon the salt a piece of bread. He then muttered an incantation over the bread, which he finally ate, thereby eating up all the sins of the deceased. This done, he received his fee of two shillings, sixpence, and vanished as quickly as possible from the general gaze. He was utterly detested in the neighbourhood, regarded as a mere pariah, as one irredeemably lost. As we understand it, sin eating was a voluntary profession as much as like being forced by poverty into undesirable work is voluntary. It also seems to have been practiced by both women and men. And the last Sinita is purported to have died in Shropshire in 1906. In the book, The Gift of Suffering, Ingrid Harris suggests sin eating began in Protestant communities to fill the vacuum left by the departure of the Catholic sacraments of confession and absolution. 
Other historians relate sin eating to the ancient British custom at wealthy funerals of distributing a dole of bread to the poor in exchange for prayers for the deceased. Certainly a host of mortuary customs in Europe and beyond involve food, particularly the consumption of bread or cake. I'm sorry, but most witchcraft practices involve bread or cake. (laughs) There are claims that sin eating followed Welsh immigrants to the United States, taking root in Appalachia. And my friend Mark also told me that it was common for the sin eater to eat the food and then regurgitate it to soak into the land, returning the sins to the earth. And I like that concept. I couldn't find anything to that effect, but I like that idea. I thought I would read you the list of the sins and the foods within the book. I'm not sure these are a true reflection of what would have been eaten historically. Again, I like the concept and I know the author did her research. So some of these could indeed be true. A selection from a compendium of diverse sins, both large and small, and their according foods. Adultery, dried raisins. Bearing a bastard, grapes. Betrayal, mutton chop. Blinding, pork pie. Blood sacrifice, hippocras. Burning, kidney pie. Conspiracy, brandy posset. Deception, whipped syllabub. Desecration, shortbread. Dissembling, sack posset. Drunkenness, hippocras. Envy, cream, fault-finding, eel pie, heresy, honey cake, idleness, pickled cucumber, incest, dried plum, inhospitableness, garlic, lies, mustard seed, lust, rose hips, miserliness, garlic, murder in defence, rabbit's heart, murder, raffle, pig's heart, oath-breaking, cake bread, Original sin, bread, poisoning, pigeon pie, quarrelling, humble pie, recreancy, neat's tongue, revenge, black pudding, sacrilege, gingerbread, slander, crow's meat with plum, spying, cock brain tart, tail bearing, stewed gurnards, thieving, roast pigeon, treason, beefsteak, vagrancy, frumenty, witchcraft, pomegranate, that would be many of us, wrath, gristle. So I absolutely love that. I definitely think it's like a bit of a hidden treasure. And yeah, let me know if you do read it, what your thoughts are. Before we get into the next segment, I just wanted to say we have a last few spaces left for me and Rachel Rachel the Hedgewitch, who's been on the podcast, she also is on the Hedgewitch's Almanac podcast with me. We have our Hedgewitch's workshop on 14th December in Braintree in Essex. We are also hosting a workshop on January 28th, 2022, close to the Pendle area up north in the UK and one in the Midlands in February 2022 too. For our overseas witches or witches who cannot get to us in the UK, we will be running some online courses with me and Rachel for 2022 too. So there'll be some details in the show notes if you would like to sign up for any of those. 
Join me after the break when I interview the wonderful Kirsty from Mindfully Crafted, all about Stitchcraft. I think you're going to love this episode. She was wonderful to talk to. Yes, I'll speak to you after the break. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. I am so excited as I'm here with the wonderful Kirsty. Now, Kirsty is the creator of Mindfully Crafted, which blends her lifelong passion for craft with a keen interest in mindfulness practices. Inspired by folklore and the stories our ancestors would have shared while stitching together. So Kirsty actually works on kits that you will find in there like selkies, deities and symbolism connecting us to the divine feminine. Each kit contains an affirmation to work with as you stitch to help infuse your mindful intention into your art. Unlike traditional embroidery patterns, the focus is not in perfecting the image, but in embracing mistakes, making the experience an act of self-love and compassion. Just like so many practices within witchcraft, stitchcraft is alchemy. It's our way as witches of taking the ordinary and making it magical. Hello, Kirsty. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you on. Honestly, I cannot tell you how excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) And I'm so grateful you are. So Kirsty and I, Kirsty, the lovely soul that she is, heard the Selkie podcast episode and got in contact because, um, of course, your work obviously, you know, works around the law. And you kindly sent over like a wonderful, beautiful Selkie pattern, which we love. (laughs) (laughs) And which we put into the Patreon and you kindly sent me a kit as well. And the Patreon went absolutely bonkers, realised that we've all got those, like, there's tons of us in there into stitchcraft, embroidery. <laughs> it's like, 
opened up all new conversations, Kirsty. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> okay, I think it was meant to be. I listened to the episode and I'd only just designed the Selkie embroidery kit. And I just thought this is just too perfect not to get in contact and send it across to you and see, you know, if it was something that you'd be interested in. And it, we kind of just went from there, didn't we? Honestly, it was perfect. And it was so funny because that same, like the lot, the, the couple of days before we started talking, I'd actually been looking at a book. I can't remember the name of the book now, but it was all about, you know, stitching in witchcraft. Yeah. I, I'd love to remember what, but that is, and uh, but I remember seeing it, and you, you know, you know, you and I started talking, thinking, oh, the universe is doing this thing again. It's just the synchronicities. <laughs> the synchronicities. <laughs> but no, your your work. Oh my goodness, your work is so beautiful. I've got the kit, and once um, things, you know, kind of uh, calm down this year, I'm gonna have a go at it, and I, I just can't wait to get started. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that's the way that the the kits and the patterns are designed so that you take that time for yourself um, and have that space. So that's perfect that you're kind of setting aside. And once things do get to that point, then you've got that there. Yes, absolutely. And it's so funny because I find that I've been talking to obviously all all our witches in our witchy community over on Patreon. And it is just so strange. Like so many of us have got the same, many of like similar hobbies and so on. The Stitchcraft stuff's really popular and, you know, embroideries and and all sorts. But of course, you know, this is something that many of our ancestors and, and, you know, hedge witches and so on, like there's, there's such a theme here. It is something that was so embraced throughout history which I'm really excited to talk to to you about today and you know I know you've got all sorts of bits and bobs to go through but yeah it's almost like you know witches now we're, we're still recreating all of these uh you know beautiful kind of hobbies with our hands that incorporate mindfulness yeah and I think it's you know it's like a deep knowledge that's within us um and the more that we I mean for, for myself personally the more I've explored um my practice through witchcraft the more I've kind of unearthed and it's it feels like something that's been there a long time but I just never really appreciated it if that makes sense so like especially with um with the craft side of things I've always enjoyed it and dabbled and throughout my childhood it was so ingrained in me um because all of my family either knit sew paint they they all do something make their own clothes um I never really saw it as anything extraordinary to what everyone else would do um until really I'd started um viewing it from the witchcraft side of um side of things and really incorporating it into my practice and thinking actually this is it's connecting with the old ways yes I think uh, you know really and then recognizing that that changed the practice in itself because then it became more of a intentional craft um and then that was when I started to work more with the symbolism in patterns and really working together the mindfulness techniques with the with the embroidery itself 
I think as well, it's really strange because I was talking to a friend that I met for a coffee today and she's just really got into sewing. She's she's also a fellow witch. And we were talking about, we are, I find, you know, we are kind of losing that element, I believe. I mean, you saying about growing up around it and so on. I always recall my grandma making something. My mum, you know, my mum even did like embroidery and so on. You know, lots of work with their hands. And it is, you know, I do think we have got somewhat of resurgence. And, you know, we, we also had, um, we were talking about like the make, do and mend type yeah. um, times as well. And, and you know, I know that we do get a little bit of a resurgence and people get back into it. But I think it's just, you know, it it's something I'm always really scared of us losing throughout our cultures because there's such magic. And when we look back at, when you go to a museum or, you know, if you go along and look at, pieces that people have crafted it's just it would just be such a shame if we lose that there's so much history in in these pieces completely I think this has been a really nice element that's come out of lockdown that people have had the chance to slow down um, and reconnect and with you know shops kind of not being open or it just being a bit more difficult to access fast fashion people have kind of reignited these crafts and actually maybe looked at their belongings in a way of thinking, do I really need more or could I perhaps make do amend literally and alter some of these items or, you know, swap items of clothing or, you know, sell the old ones and buy second hand. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I actually think lockdown has been a blessing in that sense that it's kind of brought us back to the old ways without perhaps um, consciously doing it initially. But I think it's definitely changed how we're now looking at that make do amend culture. I agree. And I also think as well, it's like anything you put your hand to, ah, oh, there's such a magic to it. You know, when you kind of look back on something you've made rather than something you've just yeah. bought, uh, it's just I such a different feeling. <laughs> Yeah, like if you think, you know, when you have a home cooked meal by your grandma or your mum and it's and it really is that you can tell when it's been made with love that they've really lovingly thought about what they've put into it and how it's going to nurture the people that are going to eat it. And it's the same with when you make items because you're you're thinking about the person you're making it for as you stitch or how, however um, you're creating it. And you're infusing it with all of your intentions and wishes for that person. And it's just like, you know, when your grandma knits you a jumper, it's the cutest thing because even though the jumper might be ugly as anything, <laughs> sorry, Gran, but it, it's to have that, to think of the hours that she sat there knitting it, thinking of you and doing it in a loving way. It's, it's a really beautiful thing. You know, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to post the picture because it's like one of these pictures that is hidden in the house, like probably the one that my mum, boyfriend came over, she would get it out to embarrass me. But we were like broke as, like when we were kids, like, uh, and you know, my mum won't hate me for saying this because it's, you know, yeah. they're, they're sorted now, but when we were kids, they were broke as, like my parents bought a house when they were really, really young. And so like my nan, like she used to be, like we're talking, like my dad used to tell, like tell me, you know, like how all parents tell you, you know, well, when I worked to walk to school, it took yeah. me like 10 hours and. Through the know, snow, <laughs> through 10 feet of snow. <laughs> You're like, all right, dad, all right. But my dad used to 
say to me like I used I had a hole in my shoe one time and I put a beer mat in there just so I wouldn't like you know I could get through the day things like that well, that's <laughs> to amend it it's best I think your dad's you know he's a real champion of it <laughs> but my nan used to you know like knit everything honestly if there was anything she would knit everything but me and my brother she used to knit us matching outfits oh bless her we had like these blue like baby blue knitted outfits and they had like steam on the front and there's a picture <laughs> of me and my brother and we could not look more interesting together in them if we try <laughs> i'm gonna have to post it value now but he's like the one that we would be held to ransom by my mum with like if you know with boyfriends if you show her up the picture's coming oh. out <laughs> but now i appreciate it because i think my nan bless her you know it's so true what you say like even if you didn't like it your nan made it you had to love it you had to wear it you couldn't not yeah <laughs> yeah especially when you go and visit them as well even if you never wear it in between you need to have it on <laughs> on the sunday you go and visit <laughs> Where the Christmas jumper probably originated from, you know, that's why they all are. I think we've got grannies to thank for Christmas jumpers. Nobody else has got that kind of creativity and garishness. <laughs> exactly. But I love what you're saying, and I think it's that's the key point here. I think with you saying, you know, it is the energy, the intention, everything you put into it. And the uniqueness, there is only going to really be one of a kind in what you make, regardless of if yeah. it's perfect or not. It's just, it's very much yours and, you know, it takes on that energy. I, I really do believe that. Oh, completely. And so this was the idea with the Mindfully Crafted Kits is really to have an activity kit together, especially for people who might be new to embroidery, so they don't perhaps have you know, all of the hoops and threads to start a project um, that they've designed themselves. It's a really nice way to introduce craft, but from the get-go, have it as an act of self-love, self-care, where you sit down in a state of mindful intention and create a piece of a piece of art really for yourself. And the idea behind the kits is really to give people that confidence in their craft. Um, and as you said in the intro, the the intention behind them isn't to have the most perfect, beautiful image at the end of it, although that's that's a nice part of it. It's really to embrace the mistakes you're making, because when you can accept the mistakes, you know, you might make little mistakes here and there in a craft practice. It's then changing the way you look at your daily life. And you know we all make mistakes say stupid things um and so what i want to do is start to use craft as a way that we can you know practice forgiveness to ourselves and just being kinder to ourselves and thinking okay it didn't go perfectly but it's my first project and you know i'm really happy with it and proud of it and then relay that into our daily lives I love that. And I also loved when I had the kit through that it had everything in there that you need, because I'll be really honest with you. When you start anything new, yeah. like I can either have all the all the gear and no idea or yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, fussing around trying to, you know, get the pieces together. And let's also be honest. It's like I was talking to my friend about this today. You know, 
many of us are quite limited now in the time that we have for these projects whereas perhaps our for you know our ancestors and women before us perhaps you know they they likely would have had more time so i loved that you had like the hoop in there and every single bit because i was like this would take me ages to figure out like i just wouldn't know where to begin and it's like emboldened me to get started with it because everything's there you know <laughs> that was yeah, the it's quite nice to have it all together and that was the idea with bringing the mindfulness and um really making sure that the instructions kind of encourages the person to use it as part of a ritualistic practice because when i've looked previously at mindfulness um craft kits and embroidery kits they were beautiful um, images that you could embroider, but it didn't really seem to, you know, other than the, the act of embroidering and the fact it was a really pretty image, there didn't seem to be much that made it particularly mindful. Um, so with the kits, I really wanted to encourage people to set a ritual around the work, use the affirmation as they stitch. So to really keep that in the forefront of people's minds. The affirmation is on the thread card. So each time you re-thread your needle, you're encouraged to then repeat the affirmation to yourself. So you're consciously then enhancing the message and the intention of the craft. Um, and each one of the kits will have a different affirmation that will fit with the, with the imagery. Um, and then also the symbolism in the images is also designed to kind of subconsciously enhance it as well. So it's it's kind of like a two-pronged approach to getting that, getting the most out of the intention of the kids. And it just takes you to such a meditative state anyway, doesn't it? When you're constantly doing that action and using on top of that, like the affirmations, the intentions setting in it. It's just such a good, I love what you, I just love the whole concept of it, to be honest. I think it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, and I think that's why embroidery really does lend itself because it's a real, like you said, it's a melodic practice. It's a slow craft. So you're really sitting down, slowing down kind of your body, your mind to just sink into it. Um, and I think it's quite a repetitive motion that you're doing for the stitching. So then when you add in the repetition of the affirmation, it really helps you to get in that that trance like state where you're just going over um, the intention of the craft and getting into that like, um, mindfulness intention that you want to create. I think in the witchcraft community as well, there has been a highlight of like needle, you know, needlework, stitchcraft, you know, all of all of this work with our hands because coming up, I know we've got, I'm not like advertising for this or anything. It's just something I personally want to go to is the uh, Silver Spoon Witch yeah. Spoon yeah. Exhibition, which you and I have like briefly discussed. And I think that's really nice because that's brought another awareness about it as well. And I think, you know, lots of, um, th this is like a project where it works on pardoning, which is throughout the UK, you know, throughout Scotland, England and so on. And I think that's probably brought a new awareness about for it as well. Um, I'm quite looking forward to going along and seeing that because it will be so many different takes on, it's like one spoon picture that they've got on fabric that they've sent out to all these people that have ordered the kits. So it'll be really, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, like the creativity and what people have done with them. Um, but I'll never forget seeing as well, like, um, I mean, it's not, you know, just a female, um, 
you know, historically it's not just been like a female craft because I don't know if you've ever seen, like I know there were like different wartime like army regiment badges and things like that that yeah. were sewn. I don't know if you've ever seen those by soldiers. Yeah. And like the the old tapestries as well. I think some of those there were a lot connected with the with the armies. Yes. Um, and I think they were also sewn by soldiers themselves. And some of them were so beautiful and they, you know, they were very like, you know, like kind of flowery and, and like there were just so much detail in them. And so I think it's, yeah, it's it, across the board, you know, it's, it's it, and it, again, it's not something you kind of envisage soldiers doing. It definitely goes against like the masculine energy that they would have had to call upon on the day to day. So I just thought, found that so beautiful yeah I think embroidery through the years is I mean it's something now where people might think oh it's something I don't know maybe you've seen your grandma do but you might not have too much connection to but historically and I mean it goes back absolutely centuries um there is kind of um uh, history around embroidery where they would use it uh, in their clothing and they thought of it as both physical protection because I mean we're going back so far that they wouldn't have had proper armor but to have a, a good embroidery would hopefully I don't I think it'd have to be quite a good embroidery to stop a sword but it might provide an extra layer perhaps but um, as well as physical protection it would be spiritual protection so against belief of the evil eye they believe that you could ward off um either negative spirits and demons with certain imagery and symbolism um, embroidered into the clothing um, and that's something that kind of transcends both time and um, kind of areas in the world because I know in believe it's Japan they'll embroider uh, sigils, uh, sigils, I can never say that word <laughs> Sigils. There's lots of um, words I can't say on the podcast. As I'm sure <laughs> don't make it. Don't you worry. You're in the safe. You're in the right place. <laughs> I think it's sigils. If I'm wrong, I apologise. <laughs> um, but into their children's clothing um, for protection, and perhaps even hide them inside a coat um, in the back, um, which is a practice which kind of is spread worldwide. But I know, particularly in Japan, it's quite popular. I love that it's even down to things like you know people would gift handkerchiefs wouldn't they that they'd like sewn someone's yeah. initial on it's just so like it, it, I just think it's such a nice practice I just think it's yes there's so much like love and energy put into that in my personal opinion but yeah. I, I it's, it's really funny because I said to you that I've just finished a book um I'm actually uh there's a review for it on this episode like just before we've got into our bit but it's called The Sin Eater and um not Sin Eater as in like the 90s singer <laughs> because I, I, I say it like I don't pronounce it properly the sin eater and <laughs> basically it's um there's a lot of references in the book to like tapestries and and like needlecraft because the women in the the like the palace they wear these uh almost like sashes at the front and they've got a lot of detail yeah like she goes a lot into the the needlework but there's this one like um tapestry that has got all these clue all these clues in it and they are like so whoever put it together they they kind of released a lot of um 
different details on, on like a p- part of the plot of the book, basically, like something that the Queen had done that she wasn't meant to do. And I just thought it was fascinating, obviously, because I've been talking to you, but it was just like how people have used it and and you know and and, I mean the tapestries obviously told stories like and again you know this is like something I I love anything like that but yeah I just thought it was so cleverly done in the book how clues are coming out through the tapestry and you know she's trying to figure out what it was all about and so on so it was a little bit of a theme for me recently all of the kind of the stitch craft popping up everywhere you go (laughs) yeah absolutely I'm clearly you know having a bash at this um but yeah I think you know I think um with like and I personally have started to do a lot of work with sigils and so on and especially the concept of you know like putting safety like you know protection ones perhaps in your children's clothes or things like that it's such a beautiful safeguarding idea this is what I like to do I mean once I do an embroidery um, if it's a particularly special one to me and what I've tried to incorporate into the kits as well is to use that completed because you've put so much energy into it and so much mindful intention that once it's completed it's infused with that and then using it as a talisman so depending on the intention of it perhaps if it was self-love having that in your bedroom somewhere where you might want to remind yourself of the intentions of self-love and taking that time and giving yourself that space and just you know being kinder to yourself um and so i think it's really lovely to have that not only when you're doing the craft but then the finished piece to act as a reminder of it um so to almost be like a sigil talisman type um piece of work at the end but uh, yeah, I mean, what you were saying about the from the book, there's so much that they would uh, they had so many beliefs around um, stitching and embroidery. There's one that I'd read around cross stitch. Um, and I don't have you ever done cross stitch? You kind of like do one one way, go the other um, and make lots of crosses to make a picture. I have and my mum did a lot of that actually she's got quite a few pictures I I, I mean I won't lie it's been a long time but yes I have uh, and I would have been very young um my mum did a lot of cross stitch as did my nan um but sadly I I haven't continued with that family tradition (laughs) I failed around it they'd had so it the cross would represent the four elements um yeah so I thought that was quite interesting that they had that belief around the cross but also they would believe that with each cross with each diagonal to the left that would represent the feminine and the maternal side and each cross to the right would represent the masculine and the power um so they I think you know they kind of believe that's what they were infusing into their piece of work at the end through each cross I thought was quite cool I think that's I love that you know I keep thinking about whenever you you know watch a film or read a book and and it's of well I can't I'm trying to think of like what sort of era I'm sort of thinking maybe like yeah. 16 1700s maybe something like that and you know as a lady one was expected to have <laughs> 
your point skills and you know it kind of like because like i've watched read a few books watched a few films i don't know what i've been watching but you know and they always like yeah they're 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 trying you know because it's it's really tough on your fingers at times when you're really going for it um and i guess it's like a bit of you know they'd have their little embroideries or their you know um whatever their work their needlework needlepoint work and like there'd be a lot of blood at times shed onto the piece where you've like stuck it in your finger <laughs> and things like that. And I was thinking, you know, maybe this is like the concept of a bit of blood magic with, you know, with, with your, your stitch craft as well, just in, you know, because it's like, quite, you know, this, the, you know, they would have started like really young um, with this practice. And if you think as well, that lots of things that I've looked into and read about it, trying to do this by candlelight must have been like absolutely like horrendous on the eyes I can't even oh, imagine definitely I mean you know I end up I have a kind of if I'm really engrossed in a piece and especially at the moment when the sun goes down at about 3 30 in the afternoon I'll start to realize and I think why am I really you know I've got it right up to the end of my nose <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's imagine for them back then trying to do this, you know, especially thinking like it is now in the winter months. It's definitely, yeah, just, you know, there's a combination here of like sore fingers and, you know, but because at that point, uh, you know, now we do it as a nice, like, lovely hobby. But back in the day, you were like expected to have on point needle skills, you know, you'd have had to sit there and really go for it. And I just think, that would have been pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> I thank just you. love the imagery of having to go for it with an embroidery. <laughs> yeah, thankfully we've moved on. There's no expectation on me to do cross stitch anymore, which is good. But no, I think it's it's you know I I um I definitely see the value in it, and I think the thing that I love about the craft is. There's so many elements of it. We do really, I mean, obviously I see myself as more of a green witch. So I'm very much immersed in like herbs and, you know, growing things. But then if you're a kitchen witch, it's it's always like using these kind of day-to-day ancient, really like ancient um, practices and making the mundane magical. Not, you know, they're not mundane, but just making those processes just, it, it really, that's, the aspects I love of the craft it makes you appreciate all these things that we can so easily take for granted I think that's such a good point because and it's just come to me now while we're talking but I think when we think of kitchen magic and green witchery and stitch craft these are things like you're saying with stitching back in the day it would have been a necessity and it probably would have been quite stressful you know being able to prepare a meal with not very many ingredients or trying to grow food that you you had to if you didn't grow the food you couldn't eat um whereas now we can kind of you know potter in the gardens and plant our herbs and it's a bit more of a recreational activity than a necessity to living um and so i think by using these practices and bringing them back as part of our routines it's almost you know like honoring our ancestors and what they would have gone through um and also just having that that respect for realizing how lucky we are that you know cooking is a fun activity and that's enjoyable that we can feed our family and it's not something that's quite stressful where you're trying to feed five people with one egg (laughs) Yeah, one potato. That's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. It, it, yeah, it really is. You know, enjoying these practices now, and 
Yeah, I think I really love the craft for that because, again, like it's it's made me focus on all aspects of the home, be it, you know, the house witch practices, be it the kitchen magic. Mm-hmm. It really has made me view these as, and that is, um, there there is like a saying with life about that, is is like anything you do, like do it with love, do it with intent. and. Yeah. I, I think that's the message, isn't it? With with the you know with the kits, with the work that you do, with anything, with all the bits of the craft, it is literally like being present, immersing yourself in it. it you know, I had like my granddad, you know, bless his soul. He like used to love doing the washing up. Like he literally used to be in a meditative <laughs> zone out, do the washing up, chat to people as he did it. It's like we've all got these little things, and it's just what you make of it. Yeah, completely. And it's just, it's it's the ultimate act of gratitude, really. If you can just enjoy, you know, stuff you're going to be doing anyway and turn it into something. I mean, I'm a Pisces, so I love making anything mythical and being in my own little world and turning it into a story in my head. So... <laughs> love that I can I can make it into a game I'm I'm so there for it (laughs) and I think that is a wonderful way to look at life because yeah like you know none of us are getting out of here alive so it is just how you treat (laughs) like it is just how you treat it and appreciate it and again like you you know I'm very much the same I think that's um a beautiful attitude to have towards life and just makes it if you can if you can enjoy the little things and it's like I wrote about my nan actually and I was talking about this today because she was a curator of the simple life she you know she just literally loved doing all the smaller things in life you know she was always very like minimalist you know if she had something that she wanted to get rid of because it no longer served its purpose she'd pretty pretty much go around the whole family and say would you like this would you like this like you know she was just so aware of the simple things and she really preached that and I think I think, you know, I do feel that and I have to remind myself to kind of do that and be like that because I do feel when I'm not kind of knocking modern day, like, oh, you know, I'm starting to, uh, I'm, I'm obviously getting old. But like I do I do think that we we can easily lose that and, and life does move so fast now and, and I do think it's just trying to slow down in little ways with some of these mundane tasks that we need to do and 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 just seeing the positive in it yeah definitely and just you know I mean when I was doing the research into stitchcraft through kind of the ages and the associations with witchcraft there's so much of it and when you look at it's just like with kitchen witchery the ways that what we do now and just take as a another chore perhaps was a huge part of life um and and the way that witches through the centuries have weaved magic into those parts of life is just fascinating Kirsty, can i ask you what is your favorite kit that you've created or piece of work that you've worked on yourself and what did you you know what magic did you create personally with that Oh, that's a good question. This one is one I did quite recently. It was a Romany wagon um, that I designed to use um, with my ancestral work um, and working with kind of honouring my ancestors. Um, So really, really fun to design and absolutely love stitching with it. I kind of, 
I just, because it was for me, I might do it as a kit um, or perhaps put it up as a pattern, but I just really had fun and played with it. So I did the design and then I just thought, I'll just let the stitches come to me once I get started. Um, and it was a great way to use the different techniques. So working with color magic and picking the colors that I wanted to um, kind of like the intention that I had for it, using the colors that would perhaps portray that, like using some of the blue for calm and clarity. Um, and as I worked with this Romany wagon, um, and then once I'd completed it, I had it in my altar. So I did that in time for Samhain so that I could have it there with a picture of my um, great, great grandmother who was born in a Romany wagon. Um, and it was just, I absolutely love creating it and thinking about her as I designed it, as I stitched it, wondering, you know, what her life was like and how, you know, what her childhood would have been like in that environment. Um, and then, yeah, just getting to have it as part of my old surf for Samhain and really use that as a way to connect with her. I absolutely adore that. I think that's so beautiful because, you know, you the, the fact that you talked about the colour magic aspect to it as well, I, I didn't even think on that, but that's such a brilliant other aspect to bring into it. I have been really impressed by, obviously, I said to you, like, the, when I put the Selkie pattern up, obviously, the sea witch in me is like, I can't wait to make it, especially <laughs> after you said, you know, I'm literally waiting for the slowdown for me, like, at Christmas, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be there going for it but the patreon witches they honestly that there's so many bits um when we brought up that whole conversation i had this like flood on the discord chat of pictures of different um like embroideries and stitchcraft that they'd created like so many of them and it was brilliant <laughs> one i think it's miriam in there who's doing at the moment like a wheel of the year um yeah. like needlework and honestly it's just you know of course, with witchcraft, there's so much symbolism. It is great for anything to add to your altar like that because you could, there's so many things you could make and put on there and, you know, that, that resound with a craft. So, yeah, it, it's it's definitely been... Um, I know they're really looking forward to you coming on the podcast. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it... I mean, it's such an amazing way. I mean, also working with deities i've got one of the patterns um in the mindfully crafted shop is a ellen of the ways um kind of it's really an homage to her and for me i work a lot with ellen of the ways and i've got a statue of her on my altar um so that one was also um on my altar for some time and it was because it's a slow craft and the whole time I'm working with it, I'm feeling, you know, that I'm thinking about her, what she represents to me and using it as another way to connect to her and kind of connect to the divine, both through the symbolism, but also consciously um, just having that, you know, consciously in my mind the whole time while I'm stitching. So for deity work, I think it's another really great way to use Stitchcraft to connect with your with your chosen deities. I agree, and you're putting all that energy in as you go along. It, it's got to bring you closer to them as well. You know, I just yeah, I think that's a really really powerful process. 
Yeah, and I mean, if you're not, if it's perhaps if you don't want to, you know, depict them exactly, you could even do like um, a bit of a representation. So like for Ellen of the Way, she could perhaps just do deer horns, but have that as dedicated to your deity, but maybe not actually depicting them in it if that's not something which you wanted to do for it. But it's really nice to to sit and kind of have that as an offering and um, just as, you know, to work with the deities. And just thinking of what jolly little piece I could create with a morrigan. <laughs> a little black, black, black <laughs> Get them red in their blood and yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, so wild with it, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think yeah. you definitely need to use some blood magic on that one. Maybe just not worry oh, too exactly. much. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it probably will be to be fair i think it will be tough going i'll have to um it's like when you start you know i i just that's the one thing i remember i'm just thinking oh my my the little pads on your fingers but it'll be fine it'll be fine i'm looking very much looking forward to getting going with it yeah, tough <laughs> are there any aspects of stitch craft throughout history that are your favorite so I think my favourite one that I came across were the poppets. So the little dolls that they would create, and these go right back through witchcraft. Um, so what's really interesting was I'd, I'd researched into these and found them to be little dolls made of either fabric, um, and they would perhaps use the fabric of the person that they were intending the poppet for. Now there's kind of mixed um, research on these. So depending on who you talk to <laughs> or where you read it, these were either used for healing or cursing, but like with most things, it was probably both. So yeah. they would be made of a person's clothing or hair. So it depends how far back you go in history um, and kind of like whereabouts it is, but they would basically be molded into these little dolls to represent the person. And for healing, they could be hit, filled with healing herbs um, and like, you know, lots of things that would be intended for perhaps the specific element that needed healing in that person using the, the herbs that related. Um, but then for cursing, they might perhaps have a few needles and pins stuck in them. Um, and this was something which had came up as evidence through the famous witch trials, both in Salem um, and here in the UK. But um, as we were speaking about earlier on and saying about, you know, once we'd spoken about it, you saw the book and then there were so many coincidences. So we were, I don't know if I could say it, but we were supposed to record last week and then we weren't able to because of technology. Um, and I was actually at the time listening to the Witchfinder sister on audiobook. Um, and so I was, I was kind of in the middle of it. And then the next day afterwards, after I'd spoken to you and we'd postponed, um, I learned about, it must be a poppet. It's called a conception doll in the book. And these dolls were used to help women who couldn't get pregnant, kind of obviously conceive. But the baby that was conceived from the magic of the conception doll would forever have its fate tied to the conception doll. So they had to keep that doll safe for life. 
So anything that happened to this doll would technically happen to the child. So I don't want to say what happens because it's a really, really good book and I highly recommend it. So I'm not going to say, but the fate of the the witch finder in this book is tied to this doll. Um, and so I just thought it was so such a fascinating element in the story. And I think in that story it is actually made of hair because this is in the UK um, witch trials. So this is going back to like the 1700s um, or is it 1600s, 17th century. Um, but yeah, so I learned even more the next day about puppets after speaking to you. So I thought it was meant to be because then we could talk about those. <laughs> It's really funny you say that actually, because I, I, yeah, I myself have actually had a few things come up recently on the puppet front, but you are right. They were double, they had like a double use. And I know with the, so Hecate's garden, uh, entering Hecate's garden by Cindy Brannan, she has a puppet. She's quite a fan of puppets. And I think she makes one out of like a, bl a black material and she uses it, I believe, as almost like a kind of little, guard like for her apothecary and things like that for, for protection yeah and it like oversees everything it's almost like her eyes and ears kind of thing if I've got I think I've got that right that's off the top of my head <laughs> yeah um, and that I really love that wellness magic by Sophie Sophie Robinson so Sophie's on the same publishing house as me she's got a wonderful book around healing she actually goes into in the book making a healing puppet so a self-love puppet for yourself and it's like wonderful because you know you look after it as you would yourself you can yeah. do things to bring love to it but I also came across a curse one which is um like not it's 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 like returning damage to somebody that they've done to you and what you do is basically like you could create a little poppet or you could like write the name of somebody on the fabric or a piece of paper cut out a little person shape you know a little gingerbread man shape or something <laughs> around the name and um you could either make a poppet of it but i mean the easier one was just to you know draw a little people person shape around the name of the person that you want to return to them like the damage they've done to you and you'd like put it in a red cloth and you like wrap it up for seven days and i think then you like on the seventh day you like take it out rip up the bit of paper burn it things like that and it kind of is like a return to sender type spell so there's so many different you know like positives and negatives and but yeah <laughs> it was so was a was that's so i think it's like anything with in witchcraft or with witches it's like we're the nicest people we're peace and love but just don't yeah. don't, <laughs> don't don't try us. yeah absolutely absolutely honestly you know, like, so, so we want best for everyone but don't don't push us <laughs> and I completely resound with that like I I you know I'm very much like you know let karma do its thing but I I wouldn't be adverse to a return to sender if somebody really 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 f me over like now you know maybe I don't know I'm just like I completely understand why but let's be really honest you know me and um Rachel who's on the Hedgewitch's Almanac yeah. with me, we were talking about this and and literally were saying you know our um former witches like they, if you look at some of the folk magic, that gets incredibly dark. Like it, you, you would have gone to 
seek out a hedge witch for yes all the jolly stuff and you know like just some medicine but you would have gone to them for sort of return like blasting like returning curses and all sorts it did get quite dark like you know we have to be honest about this <laughs> but I think you know if you're only holding a mirror up <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, you're not putting out the negative it, it's you know it's Hand up it. to interpretation what people are sending your way so <laughs> absolutely you're directing and channeling that energy back and I absolutely agree with that yeah. I'm not someone that has you know yeah I completely resound with that I'm not someone that throws out things myself to be honest I'm too oblivious most of the time unless it's like really <laughs> Too busy. <laughs> and they say, oh, I did that to you. But yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> no, I would have no issue mir mirroring it back to them. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the idea of using a puppet um, for, for self-love, though. I think that's a really sweet idea. And that would be amazing for working, doing inner child work um, and doing that, you know, shining that self-love and kindness in on yourself. It's actually just like, mirroring any negative things back to people sometimes we give out so much kindness but we don't always give it to ourselves so i think the puppet would be a really good way of kind of um maybe practicing a bit of self-care and self-love more and that's almost like the worry doll concept as well isn't it you know if it's yeah. like, not that you want to get but you could use it in that respect as well like you know if you don't want to do the inner child work then use it as a worry doll you know like a grown-up kind of teddy bear in a sense i guess to yeah, i think that's really sweet we just get a really unprofessional moment here on the podcast because my cat is uh screeching to go out so i'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised you haven't heard mine. One managed to jump from the floor to the wardrobe and then jump down on the other one <laughs> in a surprise attack. So I'm really hoping that it hasn't come out on here. <laughs> cut that out because that is real witch life when you're familiar with the escape and you're trying to ignore it as it's as it's maniacally, you know, trying to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So, Kirsty, I was going to say. In terms of projects, have you got anything planned for next year within your work? So one of the um, things that's coming up for next year is starting the workshops with um, mindfully crafted sessions, getting a group of people together um, and sitting and stitching together and really working it into um, that ritualistic practice. So I've got a really good fun one coming up um, down in Cranbourne in Dorset, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and what we'll be doing is creating talismans. Um, so one of the ladies is going to um, start with a shamanic journey um, and take everyone on a shamanic journey. And so they can really visualize their own individual talismans. Um, and then everyone can kind of draw them out and we can then get started with stitching those using the mindfulness craft approaches to infusing them with intention and affirmation um, and, you know, really sitting in that space of what you've discovered on your on your shamanic journey. And then they'll have the talismans to take home with them. So that's what i'm getting really excited for next year i've got you know more kits coming out into the shop um but it's yeah really getting together and you know hopefully now with the lockdowns hopefully won't be too bad next year um that we'll be able to get together um in person and sit and stitch together 
just like our ancestors would have done years ago. Um, and yeah, that's that's what's got me really excited for 2022. I'm definitely coming to one of those. I'm definitely going to book a ticket. But I'm hoping you're going to be doing some work with me and Rachel from the Hedgewitches Almanac as yep. well, because we'd love definitely. to work with you. <laughs> Yes, I would absolutely love to. I think I, I feel a real call next year. And, you know, obviously from being locked down for so long, I'm sure we're all in that space of just wanting to get out there and meet people and really enjoy, you know, learning from other people um, and sharing our own kind of individual um, experiences of the craft together and sharing our own practices and and just kind of learning from others and how they practice and sharing ways in which I use Stitchcraft in my practice so I would absolutely love to join you and Rachel and we are of the such the same mind I mean it's it's kind of you know when we when I go onto Patreon that feels like sitting around like the virtual campfire all together but yeah. it's again with you it's like you know it's it's finding your tribe and I'm very much the same feeling I think lockdown made us all want to kind of gather and get back together and you know we spent too long I think being I mean same as an introvert I feel like I've, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out there and getting together with fellow witches and, you know, like coming back to some of these different crafts together and different workshops. So yeah, 2022 yeah. feels very exciting on that, on that front. Definitely. definitely. I think, and I've also, I've read a few books recently and it's just thinking about how persecuted like females have been witches have been through history and how we would have had to hide under the cover of darkness for so long I think there's something really magical in actually getting together and kind of being there loud and proud together and celebrating the fact that we can actually do it um is is a huge thing and I really just feel a call to be able to meet and join together and be in that space I absolutely agree with you. We are in just, you know, well, I hate saying this word, but unprecedented times. Like, even my nan recently apparently said, like, I guess I'm a witch. My mum was like, hallelujah, you know. <laughs> you know, because it's just a time where we are allowed to say it. You know, my mum has yeah. embraced the title now. I mean, you know, she was like a classic, like green man things everywhere in the house. And, you know, there was always like, yeah. there was always like an element, like we knew but she didn't want to say it. But yeah, I think it's just, you know, we are in a time where we can just loud and proud, like actually not have to hide it away. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's it, and I know, and you know what, I do want to say, I know some people do have to, I know like this, yeah. I like to think for some that that's not always going to be the case for them. So I am aware that, you know, some of the witches that I speak to, they are still in the broom cupboard, but and that's not out of their own choice. It's just, you know, they are perhaps, you know, different circumstances that have had forced them to, to remain there. But yeah, you know, we are fortunate, like, you know, personally, as and many of us collective, where we can just be loud and proud about it. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I hope that, you know, the more that we get together and the more that we, we do that, that those people who are in situations where it's just not kind of comfortable appropriate whatever the reason to be able to be like do you know what I'm a witch <laughs> this is yeah. who I am hopefully it obviously does you know like with every other kind of um, movement that it will just make it easier for them to be able to be kind of more out about who they are and make, make it a space comfortable for them I should say and hopefully possible 
I wanted to ask you, because I know that you're very much inspired by like folklore and, and stories of our ancestors, but in regards to the kits, are there, I know you've got obviously like the dirty one, the selkie ones, are there any other ones that you feel that you'd like to tell us about? Or, you know, I obviously will give all the details of the show notes of where you are, but yeah, are there any others that you can like in, give us some insight into? I'm in the process of designing more at the moment. Um, so that's what my kind of over the next few weeks, I really need to get them all uploaded, get them on there. Um, so <laughs> they're out and available. Um, kit wise at the moment, I've done, I've got a spell jar coming up and I thought that one was really good fun to do because just like when we create a spell jar and we're putting our intentions into that physically with those items, I really enjoyed um, designing and then stitching that one because it was like a much kind of a slower craft of making a spell jar and infusing that with the one that is coming up is a self-love spell jar. Um, so it's got, you know, the elements like rose quartz and rosemary and you're stitching those into the jar itself. Um, and what, would be a really good i'm just writing up the instructions for it to create a ritual around it um because what you can also do with your um kind of materials before you start stitching as part of the ritual is to perhaps store them with those herbs so storing them with the rosemary with the lemon balm so you're infusing the scent and the kind of the properties of the herbs that you're stitching with um into the spell jar you know sitting with a rose quartz as you as you're stitching it so it's just adding the elements together and kind of you know stacking the intention of what you're doing with that um so that will be the next one that's that's coming up on there so yeah there's going to be lots going up in the next few weeks and I just want to say I'm in love with the moon gazing pdf um pattern you've got on there and the I've seen the rose quartz one as well the goddess of self-love one where you said about that about this but you know the spell jar one i just had to say i love the the embroidery craft kit you've got the rose quartz one's gorgeous yeah so i'm and with with all of the kits i've incorporated the symbolism in there so there's always lots of spirals in the kits to represent represent that divine feminine and that kind of unending spiral of birth death rebirth um that represents the divine feminine so just little elements like that um whether it be the herbs that are represented perhaps plants that are used in them um is all tied in and connected with the intention of the of the kit itself and all of the kits, so I, this is like not, basically Kirsty's on here because my, she's my friend and I love her work. And, I, you know, I'm <laughs> supporting small businesses as well, especially, you know, like more than ever, because I think some of the small, especially witchy businesses are just wonderful. But the prices on them are brilliant as well. I'm not even giving you the hard sell. I'm just, I think she's <laughs> done a magical job with her work. Like, I just love her. Like, I support her. Oh, thank so, yeah. you. <laughs> So I'm going to put all the details in the show notes and you can like see all her work and have a look at what she does. But she's a very talented woman because she also has a podcast. If you want to hear more from Kirsty, she has got a podcast called Mindfully Crafted over on Spotify as well. And the episode's wonderful. She's exceptionally calming. You know, it's very, very all the feels from the podcast. So I'll put that in the show notes too. I, I've got a little... Um, 
like I've got a little spell that Kirsty's given me actually that I'm going to read out if that's okay with you Kirsty. Yeah of course. <laughs> so this is a traditional spell of nine knots so I'm just going to kind of like show you that I, I was getting all excited about this but I'm just going to ask you so is this just something you could just sew into like like can you give me a bit of background on how someone can get started with this and then I'll I'll pretend I'm not on doing and read the spell <laughs> Yeah. So with this spell, this is, I mean, I don't actually know how old this is, but this goes right back. Um, and not magic is something that has been, you know, it goes back to really the beginning of witchcraft um, to the point where when they would during witch trials and witch hunts, they would actually cut their hair so that they couldn't perform not magic with their hair or perhaps loose threads in clothing. So, I mean, they were really concerned about um, not magic going right back to the beginning times. Um, so this spell, what I think uh, one craft which would be amazing to use it with would be macrame because you're making knot after knot to create your pieces. Um, I think it'd be fantastic to, with each knot, recite each line of the um of the spell so you can kind of hear it as you're doing it but again you can also do it you know french knots and embroidery or just as you're knotting your thread to sew any garment you could use it alongside that and this also makes me think of the sea witch because i just you know it's just reminding me you know the knot magic was really powerful there like they knot things to kind of send the fog away redirect storms that was a really, really popular form of magic on the ports and so on as well. Yeah, there was something I read. Um, I think it's not not magic and not spells. They go back to Norse and Greek mythology. Um, and it's kind of tales of nimble fingered goddesses weaving and tying together the threads of life. So, I mean, these go right back for, for the um, not magic and spells. That's what I'm aspiring to be, a nimble-fingered goddess. This time next year, that's that's what I'm aspiring to. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's the bio, nimble-fingered goddess. <laughs> I'm going to actually put that. I'm, I'm going to have to <laughs> you are the nimble-fingered goddess. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> worst things to be called I love it <laughs> absolutely <clears throat> um okay so <clears throat> this is a traditional spell of nine knots by knot of one the spells begun by knot of two it cometh true by knot of three thus shall it be by knot of four tis strengthened more by knot of five, so may it thrive. By knot of six, the spell we fix. By knot of seven, the stars of heaven. By knot of eight, the hand of fate. By knot of nine, the thing is mine. I absolutely love that. Thank you, Kirsty, for bringing that on. Welcome. It's cool, isn't it? And thank you for coming on. I've absolutely loved having you on. It's been one, honestly, like I, I think it's such a fascinating subject and I'm sure you're going to have tons of people, you know, wanting to get in touch. I'm, I'm obviously going to put all your socials on to the show notes. So I'll put your thank Instagram. You. 
But no, I'm so grateful you've been on my my nimble figured goddess. <laughs> I absolutely love that. That is, I'm keeping that from now on. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. It's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. I just want to say if you enjoy my content, you can find more of my work in my new book, The White Witch's Book of Healing, that's just been published. Link will be in the show notes. If you have bought it, I want to say I love you. Thank you so much. If you have read it and are happy to give me a review, maybe on Amazon or wherever you bought it from, I would be so grateful. I am with Rachel on the Hedge Witches Almanac. My second podcast, our Yule episode, is out soon. You can find us in the show notes. You can also join my Patreon for £6 per month. You'll have access to our witchy community, monthly coven chats where we all have a call together. We have grimoire pages for season two of the podcast, a Patreon podcast episode, tons of extra witchy content. Like this month, we have a workshop. I'm running two. Oh, and the Literary Witches Coven. This month, we are reading The Winter Witch by Paula Braxton, if you want to get involved with that. So the Patreon is called The White Witch Coven. There is a link in the show notes. Aside from that, catch up with you all soon, you wonderful witches. Have a great week. Lots and lots of witchy love. Mm -hmm.